that's off limits. Right. Well, I'd like to make some kind of arrangement. You offered very generously to use these facilities. I'd like to make some arrangement with you to do that because I got an arrangement for you. <laughs> I always, I always have an arrangement. I figured you did. Yeah. But anyway, let, here, let's all wave people out there and let them know that, uh, we know people are watching and appreciate them. Um, well, let me start off here. Do it one more time. That way everybody's there on. These cameras are rotating back and forth between us. God bless America. God bless America. God yeah, bless America. Man, yesterday was uh, Memorial Day, so of course we want to uh, thank all the veterans who lost their lives. You know, we uh, very much appreciate your sacrifice for this freedom uh, we enjoy. It's absolutely amazing. My my son's in the military still, and uh, he's a constant reminder that I, I don't want to. Uh, hopefully he'll never have to pay that price, but right. I know he would. Anyway, this is the uh, Talking Energy Show is what we call it. It supports the uh, oil-filled tailgate parties we have in Norman. It's it's uh, really, that's where it comes from. Mike, Mike uh, Cantrell, go around the room, introduce yourself, everybody. Yeah, I'm Mike Cantrell. Uh, I'm an oil and gas producer from Ada. I also have a consulting practice where I help clients solve problems, basically. Mike, do me one favor. Pull that microphone up and eat it for me. I want to hear you. I can do that. There we go. Is you, that good now? Oh, you sound like butter. Ah. Sound like you want to spread you on toast. Yeah, maybe a little sugar. You know, yeah. <laughs> Cinnamon toast. That's what, <laughs> what about you, Zach? Zach Oplin. I'm with Blue Bison Analytics. We built an oil and gas engineering software also to help solve problems. The problems of identifying how much are they worth. That's a, that's a, uh, that is a task. It's important to me, to us. Everybody in our industry, I believe. What about you, buddy? Bill Shanahan, Energy Rogue, and we are market analyst, and uh, I also have uh, Wagner Midstream, where we help small producers get their physical commodity to the market. There we go. We got a good group of people. Of course, I'm uh, Matt Hill, and again, this is the Trace Management Podcast Studio. Trace Management has been uh, very generous in giving uh, us this room, so I want to promote them and their their engineering firm for oil and gas companies. And then, uh, once again, uh, Mike was asking, I think the... I think I started this out just because, you know, I wanted to uh, promote oil and gas, of course, and just change the narrative, give, you know, give people another, you know, one more option to, you know, learn about oil and gas and what we do for the world. But also, yes, I think, uh, I think this does help promote all the people. Uh, once a year we have, you know, for six games in Norman, Oklahoma, we have a tailgate party and all the sponsors, you know, contribute uh, to that party. And then, I want to be able to give them, you know, a place to come and say, Hey, look, if you're a sponsor for the tailgate party, I want to promote you. You know, here's another way to do it through the podcast. So blast out to all your, if you're a sponsor, blast out to all your friends, family, current and potential customers, you're a sponsor of the tailgate, but also come in the podcast to you. Tell me about your business. Mm. You know, so anything I can do to, you know, eventually grow that tailgate party, maybe we can start doing it in, more schools or, you know, more events, you can have more events with the tailgate party money. In 1990, I did a governor's race with a good friend, Wes Watkins, who was a congressman at the time. And one of the things we did in Oklahoma City is he had a roommate, a college roommate that was involved in a networking group here in Oklahoma City. And they'd meet once a week. And they would. it was kind of like a rotary club in a way. But everybody had a different business. Yep. And they all referred clients or customers to each other. Every, every, it, I've got a need for a plumber and John, you, you're a plumber, you know, you just need to hook up and they hooked people up with their needs. And I thought that was a marvelous idea. And this could be a, I can see how this would be a tremendous extension, uh, a digital extension of that process. We, yeah, we've, we've learned, uh, networking with a purpose in our industry. 
right? Everybody's here. Uh, of course, I learned that networking, the best advice I ever got, networking is what you can do for others. Not, you know, you don't show up to find out what everybody I meet, what can you do for me? Hey, what, how can I help you? Yeah. There's a reason they call it the service sector. Yeah. Cause we do, we do, if we're successful, we're of service to others. I've got a servant's heart for sure. God, God gave me that. Thank goodness. Well, hey, so what have you been up to? I've had you in the podcast before uh, when uh, Trace was in the other building down there uh, near uh, Chesapeake. What have you been up to? Well, uh, it's really interesting. You know, of course, I've had a dual career for the last 40 years. Mainly oil and gas has been my staple, but I've also had a very very, uh, specific consulting career where I've helped people with image problems and with political problems and with government and regulatory problems. And so I really like that kind of work. And I think I've got a unique space in that. And uh, right now, the most interesting thing I've got going is I've got a a SEAL Team 6 leader, a Navy SEAL, that is retiring in October. And I'm trying to get him ready to monetize uh, his life into his next segment of life. Because, you know, after you've been in the SEALs 20 years, um, it's an adjustment to come back. Yeah, that's a large transition. Yeah, it's a large transition, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how I can uh, improve his brand and uh, give him a brand that he wants mm-hmm. and uh, working with him on the branding part right now and then working with him on messaging and then working with him on how we get his name out and what different things we do. And so I find that extremely interesting, and that's what made me uh, think of the podcast idea again because I'd like to use podcasts to to reach out and build this guy's presence and build other clients' presence with with uh, this just one component of digital, you know, being involved in political stuff my entire life, basically, I've seen it go from just campaigning door to door and shaking hands and going to events to television, which has dominated the media. We're going to be overwhelmed here in the next two or three weeks with television ads. And there's so much clutter with television that I wonder who sees them anymore. And so I think that increasingly elections are won and lost with a digital campaign or lack thereof. So, you know, and thinking of that through, I think there's a, a, the digital communication medium is becoming the preferred, if it hadn't already, become the preferred means of reaching customers and reaching voters and reaching the population. Well, I think we're all hungry for knowledge and those little 30-second blurbs on TV are not going to catch me, you know, and, and educate me on anything I need to know. Yeah. We've got 16 people, for example, in Oklahoma running for the United States Senate seat that's being vacated by Senator Inhofe. Mm-hmm. 16 people. That's a lot of people. To get and and many of them are very qualified. Yeah. And on our side for yeah. oil and gas. Yeah. In fact, none of them on the Republican side, and I'm not familiar who the Democrat is running. Oh, poor guy. But uh, Or lady. It doesn't much matter in Oklahoma, the reddest of red states. I'm, I don't think it matters much. In fact, my mentor used to tell me 30 years ago that, that for a Republican to win in Oklahoma, which Oklahoma was an 85% Democratic state 30 years ago, there has to be something wrong with the Democratic candidate. Well, I would tell him if he were alive today, boss, that has switched. Mm-hmm. For a Democrat to win statewide in Oklahoma, there has to be something wrong with the Republican candidate. So I don't see anything wrong with any of our Republican candidates that, that would ha- cause them to lose an election. So I think that's going to be the universe that we're talking about is that the, the elections in Oklahoma today for statewide offices are by and large primary elections, which comes up June 28th. So that's when we really decide who the next senator is going to be. Well, of course, there'll probably be runoffs. There'll be runoff elections with 16 people in the race. There's yeah. going to be a runoff. That's Nobody's true. going to get 51%, I don't think. So, But we'll see. And I think this kind of a medium where people can get on and just get information from people that are unbiased maybe or people that they can just use for themselves their biases, 
um, is is a very very um, unique and um, is effective way to communicate messages. And, and one of the things we've learned in our business with Energy Rogue is that social media is an on demand media. You don't have to wait for it to show up on the, right. in that program. Mm-hmm. You go get it when you want it and when you need it, and you have time to, to listen to it. So how do people get driven to the social media that you guys use to promote your different businesses? Oh man, that's the, that's a great question. I wish I knew that metric because I'm trying, right? I want right. to, I want to promote this show. I mean, I never want to promote myself, but I'm part of, I have to build this and, and help right. people and get, get people in here. You know, the, like I find every person in our industry fascinating. So I can't wait to hear their story and I want to make sure they're all invited in here and tell their story. But I, you know, we got to make that time and, you know, find a way. And then once they're in here, I want to do them the, I mean, I'm honored to promote them and their story. So how do I go out and get all the people that I know would be interested in hearing their story? Well, let's all get to them. Let's all figure that out together and we'll collaborate on that. There we go. Yeah. It's only probably, um, I wouldn't say be more than a hundred, $200 billion opportunity if we can figure that out. (laughs) Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Someone has figured it out. Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some amazing podcasters out there. I mean, the, the digital wildcatters are doing great. JP Warren, uh, of course, uh, you know the Social Octane Group, uh, Max Gagliardi. I mean, we have in oil and gas space. There was, I think, that guy found Zach. Remember when he was looking close to 200 oil and gas podcasts? Mm. Some somewhere near that, yep. you know, or on energy in general. Has anybody energy. done a, done a study of how they drive people to their podcast? How they build the podcast? How do you get? No, so my there's a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of things to cover still. Like you said, nothing's new under the sun. And so I think it starts off with integrity. Mm-hmm. Integrity always attracts people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you say you're nonpartisan, you got to be nonpartisan. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if you say you're going to be positive, you got to be positive. If you, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, I mean, I see, you know, the beginnings of this, I can, you know, my, my friend Jason Spies with, uh, he's completely not an oil and gas guy. You know, he was a reporter and the more they sent him out to do, you know, pieces on oil and gas and kind of like, Hey, we want you to go out and do this piece on oil and gas and, you know, make sure it leans toward our side, not oil and gas side. The more he researched, the more he became a fan of oil and gas. And then now he was like, well, I'm just going to tell the truth about oil and gas and educate people about oil and gas with my platforms. So, you know, he has done an incredible job with the crude life and I've been honored to be, you know, a correspondent for him several times. And I love promoting him because he's completely outside of oil and gas and he just knows the information and he goes, if you are a human being on earth and you go out and research enough, you will realize quickly that we need oil and gas and why it's good for everyone. One of the most unique voices today in the energy space, I think, is Alex Epstein. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, someday, Alex, please, please be in here. Probably 15 years ago. I, I can't remember time frames very well, but this young man contacted me out of the clear blue and wanted to have lunch. And we had lunch in Dallas, Texas. No kidding. And it was Alex Epstein. Wow. And he said, you know, I'm wanting to do this. What do you think? And I, boy, I encouraged him. I said, this is great. You're a bright young man. I had no clue how good this guy was going to be. So six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I've got Alex Epstein in here through you. See, this is why, <laughs> this is why you're going to be a co-host as well. Well, he's. Bring him in. His cell phone's in my contact list, so I just don't remember if it's if it's still the same one, you know, because I haven't tried to contact him. But we did talk about getting him for a speech, and it's a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, speech. Alex! Unless he owes you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he owes me. Anything. <laughs> well, then it's only ninety five. He's done far more good than he's, he's good anybody job. else in our space at at explaining the fossil fuel world and why it's necessary. I remember doing a uh, thirteen years ago. I did a op-ed piece in the Bismarck Tribune in Bismarck, North Dakota. 
And, uh, and I made the, it was an unusual story item because even then, as well as now, people are talking about how dangerous fossil fuels are and how they're right. going to end the world. And I made the premise that the world doesn't need to use less fossil fuel. It needs to use more. Oh, and that's because what there hasn't says. been a single, hasn't been a single modern economy built without using more fossil fuels, not less. You want to, you want to damage your economy and you want to have people to go hungry and people to starve and people to freeze. Just quit using fossil fuel. Right. Because it's just, we're so far away from any kind of transition. Well, so, so to me, the biggest problem is that we think Mother Nature is our friend. No, that's not true. Everything in nature is trying to kill us. Yep. You know? And so if Mother Nature's our mother, mm-hmm. she's not a great mother, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part. That's really hard to, to get over because that we want a good planet. We want a sustainable thing. And sustainable is another word that we could spend a whole hour on def- defining. But uh, so I think that you're correct, and 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 Alec Justin, you know, puts it down is is that he's about flourishing humans, not flourishing planets. Yes. Yes. Okay. So back to the uh, SEAL Team Six guy. I I have a couple ideas for him. First of all, so many of our friends in oil and gas are you know we all have a lot of bravado. You know, we feel like we're guys, guys. You know, we love you know going to shooting contests and. I mean, when he comes into our space, we're going to want to introduce him and hang out with him just because of his position, and we have a lot of questions for him, right? right? So he's always welcome in here with me, but you can bring him in here and do his own podcast as well. But, I mean, how many of us in only gas would love a chance to go train with a SEAL team member? In a Not minute. me. <laughs> I'm beyond that. For anything he could – I mean, like, hey, look, yeah. you have a knowledge that we normally don't have the ability right. to even, you know, start talking with somebody about. So anything you share with us at all, like whether it be about our firearm training or about, you know, hand-to-hand combat or just like your ability, you know, for your mind. You know, because I run every day and I need that, you know, mental capacity to go and do the things that they do. You know, how do you do it? You know, so anything he has to offer us is, you know, pretty exciting. I think it would be, and, and just listen to him a little bit. Of course, right now, he's still active. Yep. So we can't even say publicly that he is a member, that he's a Navy SEAL. We can say Navy Special. Okay. Naval Special. Allegedly, if you have a friend that's a Navy SEAL. But anyway, what we can do, what we found out we can do is that we can get a non, uh, an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, and he can do that. So we're going to start to – I'm working with a PR uh, slash TV producer person in, in Dallas that is going to put organized small group settings – and we have, we're still formatting how we're going to do that. But but um, she thinks we can get $2,000 a person to sit down and, and all sign NDAs, all check your cell phones at the door, mm. because you can't have anything recorded of what he says. I'm pressed. I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not probably not either. But, but he could take it from me probably. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, that's one of the things we're going to do start, starting out is doing that until Killy can transition into doing it. So you're kind of like the Tony Robbins of um... – Oil and gas, a well, little I bit. I, that's that's a that's a big one. That's the that's height too of much. hyperbole. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, and then you're training others to do that same thing. Like, you're a leader training leaders. That's what I've always tried to be, anyway. And uh, we've so got, there, there was one guy you helped out early in your career. I was trying to think of his name. He's sort of a he's a big deal now. Yeah, I think. some small guy like Harold was his, his name. name right? Harold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ham, uh, Harold Ham was easy. All I had to do was recognize who he was, and then help get him out there. And of course, now we know Harold is probably the predominant spokesman for our industry in the country. And, and, uh, you know, I just had a small part to play in that, but Harold himself is the main reason he's Harold Hammond, who, you know, the, the persona of a guy that's the 13th son of a sharecropper 
that didn't even have a new pair of shoes till his house burned down. He was 10 years old and the Red Cross bought him a pair of tennis shoes. Lived on a dirt floor. You know, the, the persona of that guy that ends up being the largest owner of crude oil in America yeah. is just an, a, a Horatio Alger story that, like none other that I know of today. And We need stories like that. It need, inspires me. Yeah, and, and it works. I remember when we got him in front of uh, the Senate Finance Committee uh, years ago after they just had the big six um, – integrated company guys in front of them and just butchered them about them flying in on jets and just took them apart. But when Harold got there, he got a completely different reception than they did. He was listened to. He wasn't beat up on. He was like one of us, you know, he was just a normal guy and uh, didn't have that, that aura of uh, exclusivity or, or greed or whatever that everybody else has, you know, because of who he is and where he came from. Well, Mike, I'm going to tell you that and all the people I've known through the years, no one ever has a small part of somebody's life. You had probably a large part. Most people just don't recognize how large it was. That's, well, in, in all fairness, he uh, he showed confidence in me, too. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of leadership. Uh, my book, uh, I've written a book called Advance. I think most of you have I've sent you a copy. Yes, you have. The, um, uh, the thing I talk about, Harold, throughout the book, on frugality, it's Harold Ham. On leadership, it's Harold Ham. On entrepreneurship, it's Harold Ham. On standing up to what's right, it's Harold Ham. I mean, you know, he's in, interwoven in the book. So it's it's the man himself that's done all this, not me. And uh, I just happen to recognize it. And, and I still, I still, even though I don't work for him anymore, I promote. I still, every time I get a chance, I talk about Harold Ham. Help him tell the story. <laughs> Zach, one of the things we were talking about this morning is, you know, we were looking at uh, company stocks. You know, you could buy, you know, and, and one year ago from then till now. And Continental is just incredible. You could buy Continental for nine dollars and eighty cents, March sixteenth of twenty twenty. Amazing. What was it today when you looked at 70 it? Seventy something bucks, sixty nine. Should have loaded up. You <laughs> should have all loaded up. <laughs> I think what gives great, people great enormous confidence in Continental is that one guy owns eighty percent of their stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know the guy running it. Of course, he's. I guess he's chairman emeritus now, but I think he still has a lot to do with it. Sure. Um, but you know, my experience of Harold leadership style was so unique. That he uh, uh, he doesn't he doesn't uh, authoritarian he doesn't run an authoritarian shop where he tells you what to do, and I'd say ninety five. He trains leaders. Yeah, he recognizes leaders and lets them know what he wants, and then lets them do it. Yeah, and I think that permeates down from engineering to geology to land, even to public affairs. My my friends that work over there are really incredible minds, and I'm always impressed by everybody in that building. So I agree. He's created the culture of of letting people excel and getting rewarded for excelling on their own. And, you know, it's hard for me to point to one thing that, you know, well, Harold made this happen. Harold made that happen. You know, yeah, he made a lot of things happen. Yeah. He's found a lot of oil himself, but he's also created a culture where others do that. And I think that's the secret of his enormous success is that how he motivates others through, through leadership. He's not afraid to pound the table and say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to pay the EPA an outrageous fine for six dead birds over 50 mud pits. We're just not going to do it. And then he changes the law because of that, because a federal judge rules that a migratory bird treaty doesn't apply to oil and gas. Imagine that. We've been netting our tanks for 30 years to keep migratory birds out of them. All of a sudden, that's not the law anymore. And that's because one guy pounded the table and said, yeah, I can get out of it for $5,000 probably, but I'm not going to do that because it's not right. Almost verbatim what he said. Do you think... um so I'm curious about, you know, I, I have not jumped into, he's got the group DEPA that he helped start, right? 
How are they doing? Have you heard anything about them? Do you know much about the DEPA group? Well, I was one of the co-founders of DEPA. That's what I thought. That's one of the things I did for him. He and I did together through the years. You know, we DEPA was a, a the forerunner of DEPA was uh, domestic energy produce uh, was the um, save domestic oil. Save domestic. In 1998, oil. we got all the petroleum associations in the country to agree that that we've been agreed by Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Venezuela, and Iraq because they dumped oil on our market, and just like anti-dumping laws and harold just calls me up one day and says bubba they're dumping on us and i said what do you mean they're dumping on us well he took the next 20 minutes to explain and uh and he said i need you to help me and i said i'm in now and for those out there i'm sure most people watching know what dep is but the domestic energy producers, producers alliance, alliance uh their offices in tulsa and uh you know much like uh, our own uh, petroleum alliance here in oklahoma city there are uh political arm i guess so that we've you know done our best to create mm-hmm. to battle our battles in washington they're one, one of, of there are many of them and uh, and what what i think harold has maintained with depa is uh you know obviously he represents himself very well in the larger independence and uh, the horizontal universe but he represents all of us yep. one thing harold has always done is maintained um the support of the entire industry probably better than any other human alive he has represented the largest of the large to the smallest of the small he doesn't have a great affinity for refiners, probably, and I would hate to speak for him, but I'd say DEPA does a really good job of representing the large independents all the way to the smallest independent, and they still do, I think, an incredible job. Harold, Harold's a visionary. The idea of lifting the export ban on crude oil, that was Harold Hand, and nobody, including me, said, you don't need to spend political capital on that. You can't do it. Well, you think I'd learn by now not to say you can't do it. You know, they, they say there's two ways to do something to get something done. You can either do it yourself or forbid your children to do it. Well, there is a third way. You can tell Harold Hamm it can't be done. That's another way to get something done. Mm. It's done. That's, <laughs> I'm going to, I need to learn a lot more before. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to grow every day as a, as a uh, leader and a person and man, always, uh, always someone else out there to aspire to. Yeah. Like you. Well, thank you. I, I've had a great life. I have a great life and uh, have a great family. And uh, yesterday playing with my grandkids is about as good as it gets. We're all in the swimming pool together and having fun. And this has been a wonderful industry to me and uh, I owe it and I appreciate it. And I've got a heritage um, that, that uh, I'm third generation oil and gas. And my son's fourth. I love your story. I know people you know may have heard it before on here, but tell me a little bit about my, it. My dad grew up in oil camps all around the country, getting drugged from Seminole, Oklahoma, to Great Bend, Kansas, to uh, Pampa, Texas, to Illinois Basin, growing up in the oil camps, you know, where uh, it's a part of the psyche of, of, uh, of our family culture, you know, is to, is to kind of be that outsider a little bit, you know, because you never were really accepted. And, and we were called oil field trash, you know, in a lot of yeah. He was. I never was. Got that famous uh, yeah. small-town greeting, you ain't from around here, are you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But, but – um, you know, we, we owe a lot to this industry. And for some reason, my dad always had a conservationist mentality. I've, I've got, I found a book of poems that he gave me. He writ, He's a prolific writer. He'd written several books and, and uh, written a whole slew of poems. And I've got about a 30-page bound volume of his poems that he got me. And, and the first one was about wildcatters, which is okay. appropriate because he viewed himself as a wildcatter. He'd rather drill than eat, you know, yeah. and uh, just as typical of a lot of independents. And, but anyways, he talked about how the wildcatter jumps off of a 130 foot Derek, knowing he can promote a set of wings on the way down. <laughs> you know, he, dad just had a flair like that. And, 
But the second one. There's probably not a lot of poetry out there about oil and gas. I was wondering. You know, he's got a whole book full of it. <laughs> That's great. And uh, the other thing, Dad, Dad. I don't did. see a lot of poets in like a you know in a setting. Have you ever been to a poetry reading where they're all standing up and snapping? Yeah. And I love that, like the yeah. the way they say it. You know, like wildcatter is a thing. They all have that, have that you know mm-hmm. that that pattern. They you know they really, they doesn't in, really doesn't even fit into rap music genre, genre does it? Old and gas. I don't know. There's it some, could it could. It I've, really I've heard could. some country rap now. Well, yeah. There's a, there's a lot. Uh, hick hop. The wildcatters. I like that. I like that. But in 1960, Dad wrote a poem called "The Wildcatter." And it was castigating us for not taking care of the earth as we penetrate the earth. In 1960, 15 years before the EPA was formed, he had a conservationist environmental mentality. And I think a lot of folks in our industry have cared about that. And and uh, especially. We we created ESG for ourselves a long time ago. We didn't need the government to come in and do it. That's right. In fact, we've done a better job. If you don't think we've we done, done a better job at regulating the industry, look at the difference in the rest of Oklahoma and Osage County where the EPA is always regulated. Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that when you go to even uh, clean up, that mm-hmm. the, our industry is like 90% of the dollars, mm-hmm. even if you include the federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in Oklahoma, we're unique in that we've got the Oklahoma Energy Resources Board. Mm-hmm. Which um, I was their education and their cleanup. Yeah, and we've we've cleaned up. I think around twenty thousand sites. They did, and we really. still spend half. Which we're man, we mandated in the legislation that created it, mandated ourselves to spend half the money on environmental cleanup, and we'll always be doing that, and we still are today. We've got student education, and and it's something that that for the entire industry, there is no, there is no us and them, big or little, refining all of us, refining all the way down to the smallest producer are part of this industry and the OERB, we leave our issue problems at the door. When we get into that, when they get into that boardroom, I don't care who's doing it. Not right now. The Petroleum Alliance has got the majority of the members on that board. That's okay. That's okay. As long as they promote the entire industry and they're, and they've done a, wor- a very good job of that. I, I believe so as well. In fact, I, I've spoken with them. They're going to come in and do the podcast pretty soon and tell yeah. everything they can about the OERB. They should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they're, uh, you know, we're, we're all in the industry together. We don't, we, we have different issues in Oklahoma than other states because our laws are different, but um, that's okay. You know, we, 95% of the time we're going to agree. In fact, the first energy legislation, I think, since we've formed the, the OEPA Alliance yeah. was passed this year and signed into law. It was incentive legislation that put back incentives for secondary recovery, put back incentives for, for keeping marginal wells alive after they become very caught, very uh, uh, low profit wells. Mm-hmm. And we've also created incentives for recycling water. I'm excited about that. that There's plenty of ways to do it. My, yeah. my buddy Gianni Giandrea yeah, with yeah. Committed Water, I've told you about him. Mm-hmm. He's got that system. You know, he's in Tulsa, and they've created a way to very quickly and cheaply uh, get produced water uh, to drinking water you know, status. I mean, just lickety-split. It's, wow. it's incredible. And cheaper really... I think they've got it now cheaper to where you can make the make the water clean, mm-hmm. cheaper and faster than you can go dispose of it in a saltwater disposal well. That's amazing. Game changer. That's amazing. Yeah, it is a game changer. Game. If they can do that, that's a game changer. It's a game. As I mean, a consultant, it's, it's, I've worked with some people that have tried to do that and have done a very good job of it. But as you know, as you guys all know, part of our industry is that we are very resistant. We are market resistant to change in our industry. It's hard to get us to change. Oh, the saltwater disposal, oh, especially people, when you know, it costs they might you money. Like if it costs you money, it's like sure. now, Mike. I, I can remember ten years ago we changed once. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, we're very yeah. resistant. That's to fine. Change. <laughs> but if you can, if they can make it to where it where it's cost effective to change, 
then uh, that's a, that is a game changer. You know, and that really is the true conservation. When you start talking about money, that's what conservation is about. Right. I mean, as a marketer, I go by and I see a flare. It makes you mental it now. It breaks my heart. I mean, it just like. But we really didn't have anything to do going, with that before, right? Yeah, that's just money going in the air. Mm-hmm. And if it's got a little black smoke, smoke off of it, I says, that's liquids and gas going into the air. You know, that's money that could be used. And a lot of that has to do with infrastructure. And from a PR standpoint, that's the, oh, worst, yeah. the worst egregious thing we've got because it's both a conservation issue and a pollution issue. Right. And it flaring is something that we need to bust our butts on making sure we can do something else. We're that, doing it Bitcoin But, but the opposite side of that is it's a, safe, it's it's a so safety exciting. issue, too, in that if you don't flare it, now you've got that gas floating around the location, right. and that is absolutely more dangerous than flaring it. But there's not, if you think about it, there's not a good answer to no. why you flare. Not we flare enough. because we couldn't produce the oil if we didn't. So it's greed. It's greed. You you get rid of you 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 throw all this money up in the air and burning and flaring. Okay, but so you can there's an more. argument to be had for we needed the energy at the time, and that's that was the cost. Like we our country, we have to have energy to you know, live the life we need. So yeah, I, besides greed, that's just we need that energy. But I'm saying on if now you, there's no excuse for us. To I would pay. never uh, advise a client to say no comment. Right. I just don't like that. I, I think you ought to always have an answer. On flaring, you're just better off to avoid it because there's not a good answer. There's an answer. The one you just gave is an answer. It's just not a good one. So we need to end that practice as soon as we can. And I think you segue into an idea we that I we're doing it all over the country. Uh, I mean, you can look it up. There's lots of people doing it. But Bitcoin mining, you know, that flare gas now, you know, hey, we have amazing generators that are, you know, you can put out there for a remote generator. You can put that generator if if we force the uh, power companies to accept that mm-hmm. electricity, that'd be a quick way. Like, Hey, look, run ele- electric out there. Mm-hmm. That flare is not going to produce electricity. You can put it on the grid. We'll have micro grids all over the country. <coughs> yeah. If they can't do that, Bitcoin mine with it. Yeah. And we had the president get pipelines at out our annual meeting a week or so ago where a company is doing that. They're mining Bitcoin or mining Cryptocurrency, right? Which is eight different kinds, or maybe even more now. <laughs> Blows thousands. My mind. I, I've got Zach, lots. how many? How many crypto? I don't count. Yeah, lots. <laughs> Come on, you're my only computer nerd in the room. Wait, there no, you are. <laughs> yeah, no, he's. So you know, but really, when you talk about that, what you're talking about is a micro grid, and when you talk about Bitcoin mining or any kind of cryptocurrency mining, what you're talking about is a is a bank of servers that's doing data mining. Yep. It right. doesn't necessarily have to be crypto. No, you can, you can do anything. Kind of data server. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Zach? Yeah, mining crypto just appears to be more economical to the people who are putting the money in it. I guess. Yeah, and good answer. That's what they choose to do and, with it. And so, how the, do they? How so do they? The, I'm curious about how they. And Zach, you'd know the answer. How do they turn that back to U.S. dollars? Uh, from what I understand, there's so you enter a pool of miners, right? I have a hundred computers, and you have a hundred computers. Yes, we all have a hundred computers, so we have four hundred computers. Our four hundred computers are mining, right? Mm-hmm. Attempting to solve these problems, right. unlock a Bitcoin, and if any of us find one, then we all cash it in and split USD. Yep, I see. So you have to be able to solve an equation before you can monetize it at all. It's the hash rate. I mean, the computing power gives you more computing power, more ability to mine, and your probability of finding a coin, unlocking the equation to find a coin goes up. I think a lot of you know a lot of times terminology is our enemy. Sure, mining is a, such a terrible term. It is. It doesn't reflect at all. No, what you're doing. Not really. Yeah. yeah. It's a computer. Yeah. It's not. It's all yeah computers out there. Mm-hmm. Solving a problem. 
Yeah. It's been interesting. I actually sat down and talked with my friends at a unnamed uh, utility here in the state of Oklahoma that sells electricity. Um, and asked him, okay, so if a Bitcoin miner comes to you, how do they get power from you? And what I heard was a two-year process. Hmm. That's, a, that's how long it takes now because they know it how much It takes a power. lot of power. It and takes a lot of power. It, no, it's a two-year process to get it done and usually a five- to ten-year commitment to purchase the power. Hmm. Incredible. That's why mm-hmm. we're going to the wells and using uh, stranded gas mm-hmm. to Bitcoin mine. But the bottom line is if they go through all that, it's cheaper, mm-hmm. but they just can't get there. One of the things that excites me about this is that we've we've got an emphasis on on methane emissions, right. on eliminating methane emissions from everything, from all wells, small, big, flowbacks, everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've learned that a, that eighty mcf a day would be a, a a break even point where you could make money if you had eighty mcf a day, you could compare enough you could power enough computing power to be able to to mine coin and make it profitable. Okay, and so that's that's what the company that that we talked to that's doing. That's this. good. I didn't know the exact well, number. Typically, it's based on the size of generator you have. Mm-hmm. So, I always look at it in terms of compressors because you use the same same mm-hmm. engine set yeah. on a compressor mm-hmm. as you do on a generator. Mm-hmm. So most of them want the size of a thirty five sixteen cat, mm-hmm. which burns about two hundred and forty mcf a day to two hundred and sixty mcf a day, depending on the quality of the gas. So that's where they want to start because that provides them. I was trying to remember the exact megawatts, but it provides them enough power to get a big enough server bank mm-hmm. to be able to mine efficiently. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's no different a process than anything we do in our own industry. It's trying to figure out where that sweet spot is. Right. That it is. And I think they need ADMCF minimum because that's the size right. generator that they need to, right. to power the servers. Right. We can probably find a, so there's probably any flare size out there and any amount of gas, you know, being... Uh, release we can probably find some solution for it but well i, I think a lot of it is that's definitely that one of our industry's greater problems right it's, now it's all about pressure it's about because a lot of the gas that we flare is very low pressure right and you've got to get it to the to right enough pressure to get into the to the uh generator yeah there's additional equipment you have yeah. to add to locations yeah. you have to have a scrubber i mean you have to have high btu content yeah. gas to run the generator yeah there's a, yeah. there's there's some definitely some more equipment i mean there's a there's an initial investment out there for yeah, sure yeah you have to have about a thousand btu that's kind of the number i, that I, I think I you can actually do it for about mind, yeah. 900 but after that you start getting more issues with the engine mm-hmm. right than you do anything else because or, or you find out how much it's going to cost to get a pipeline from a to b Right. And, Next pipeline over. And so what's interesting, there's still a lot of those pipelines out there that these people like the uh, large gatherers like DCP and that have basically abandoned because they don't like the low-pressure gas. Okay. Because the compression is so expensive that they can't make money on it. Now, so it wouldn't be that was, hard to get that strand of gas probably to someplace. And so, I mean, the, the Texas Panhandle and Oklahoma Panhandle is completely covered with these gathering systems. Well, and they pay you nothing for the gas. Right. Well, I just talked to, to a friend I'm in some drilling deals with the other day, and and uh, they were offered $0.10 cents an MCF for their gas in eastern Oklahoma. This was eastern Oklahoma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was Creek County. So that's just bizarre. At gas sales, selling for $8 to $9 an MCF. And think about it. It not only not only cheats the operators, it cheats the royalty owners, and it cheats the state of Oklahoma out of gross production tax. Right. So it's in our interest to find things to to do with this stranded gas and make it profitable for everybody. Microgrids or Bitcoin mines. Explain microgrids. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, so you put a generator out there, mm-hmm. and you generate electricity, mm-hmm. 
and now there's power lines close by or you get power lines out there and then your generated power can go back to the community. Or if you want, you can have your own grid out there running whatever you want. Right. I mean, I know years ago, probably 20 years ago, we had legislation that made the utilities take the power back from what we can produce. And I don't know what kind. I don't remember the, what kind the of equi- the equipment to do that's pretty expensive. But is it? an actual microgrid is no different than what we've been doing in our industry. When we decide power is too expensive, right? And we run our own power lines, mm-hmm. and then then we either purchase the power or we generate the power. I mean, I was in charge of a plant that generated its own power, mm-hmm. of a small little processing plant. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we did that because we were so far away from any power that it was going to cost us, you know, two hundred thousand dollars to lay lines. Mm-hmm. So use the gas. Yeah. And, and I told people, you know, I really like those generators because <clears throat> they were old enough that we went to high school together. I mean, those circuits <laughs> were old, but they were still running. I mean, West Texas, I mean, all the man camps out there, I mean, you could yeah. run your man camps off of that electricity right. you're yeah. producing. You know, you don't need the city to send out power to you. So a microgrid is, is something that's isolated, smaller than the large grid that the utility runs. And usually it is um, locally um, regulated. In other words... If you own it all, then you regulate yourself. Now, there are, you, you don't get away from all the regulations because there's regulations for power lines. There's regulations for various different things. But in essence, a wind farm is a microgrid mm-hmm. because they bring all that power and they take it into one uh, bus station. In the- Have you guys seen the, the uh, articles that, that are talking about the fear of uh, rolling brownouts all summer mm-hmm. in America? Have you guys seen that? I'm sure there will so, be. Yeah. What is the Especially crux West of Coast? that? What is the crux of that? Is it what what the article I read was talking about was the over reliance on alternatives? Uh, don't you think so too? Probably. I mean, it's not, yeah. guess what alternative energy is? It's not um, reliable. Well, it's really not alternative yet. It's supplemental. Right. Yeah, it hadn't risen to the level of being alternative right. yet until the wind blows all the but time. Man, that marketing term alternative has really hit home with a big. Yeah piece of our population yeah, alternative is. energy well you know or, or they or the worst the worst way to call it green energy what a crock of crap or renewable renewable and well another yeah another one so marketing wizards years years ago people talked to me because boone pickens was backing wind energy and everybody right. going, that's like calling the vaccine a vaccine and he kept he kept going people said, well, why is he you know he's really going green i says no he's not yeah he goes what do you mean i says every one of those windmills have to be backed up with a running Gas power generator. Boone Pickens sells gas. Yeah, he knows the more wind he gets out there, the more they need gas. Well, I remember. I remember at the time, uh, I wrote an op-ed piece called it the, the greatest boondoggle. There we go. <laughs> About that, I said, you know, if I had a half a billion dollars in wind turbines just sitting around rusting, I'd probably try to find a way to make us do that too. And uh, but you know, the the I remember going to a meeting in um, at Boone's ranch. Uh, big ranch in the pan, a wonderful facility, and and uh, it's Boone, amazing. Boone was what he was. He got all the executives. I only went because I was with Harold, and uh, they got all the executives from the large oil companies there at the at this symposium, so to speak, on his ranch. And his whole thing was he spent sixty million dollars advertising for this stuff. Then you know he wanted us to spend the next sixty million. And Aubrey McClendon, I'll never forget. Aubrey said, "Boone, you're like a father to me." But why? Why would I do that? Why would I? Why wouldn't we just use the natural gas in the first place instead of to use it to supplement wind? Mm-hmm. And that was it. It was the discussion was over. Uh, I mean, you know, there so, wasn't anybody going to do so, that. So, Mike, how many wind turbines did you see on Boone's farm? On Not Boone any. Ranch? 
None. Come, come to think of it, I never thought of that. <laughs> he never allowed one on his property. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, he had he had an amazing facility there with the six or seven different ponds that were stacked, you know, stocked with different fish. You could see turkey and deer and wild bird, everything. It was an amazing place. Well, you know, Phillips Petroleum run a long time ago, not to mess with Boone much though. Yeah. <laughs> That cost him a lot of money. Yeah, that reminded me. One of the famous Will Roger quotes was, uh, he said, you know, Frank Phillips has built this amazing place in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, called Woolerock. He's even brought in reindeer from the North Pole. He said they did just fine in the summer and froze to death in the winter. <laughs> That's <laughs> typical. Will Rogers is my absolute favorite. Yeah. He is my absolute favorite. He goes, his favorite, my favorite quote of his is, you know, it's just, he says, you know, I have two that he like. He, he says, one is that, here in America, we have the best politicians money can buy. <laughs> and the second one is Still he, to this day. He said, you know what? He says, I am not a member of an organized political party. He says, I'm a Democrat. Yeah. <laughs> I guess for both sides these days. Yeah, it does. But I think the issues, and we talk about oil and gas, but the issue is energy. There's not a society who hasn't pro- progressed without real reliable, cheap energy, no matter what source it came from. We know that oil and gas has has got probably the cheapest, most reliable energy. But when it comes to certain locations, we need solar. We need, I mean, have you... I use a solar panel on top of my fire suppression systems. It keeps that, it trickles energy to that, keep that battery ready for if an emergency, you know, somebody at a location needs their fire suppression system, it turns on. In the last five years, they didn't have a solar panel on it somewhere. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's a useful technology, but we make those solar panels because we use a tremendous amount of oil and gas to harvest everything we need to create that solar panel. Right, and so the the bottom line is is that I believe that the energy transition is transitioning to the right power source for the right sink, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what it's really about. It's not about oil versus renewable or whatever you want to call them because you know renewable says it's going to regenerate itself. Wind doesn't regenerate itself. Sun doesn't regenerate itself. Nothing really regenerates. You know, I, I always come back to the to the Adam Smith, invisible hand of the marketplace quote. You know, Adam Smith was the capitalist, and and um, um, and I believe that the market, the invisible hand that we don't see is which is marketplace, really ultimately decides. It's not the right. government decides. It's the invisible hand of the marketplace. And when the invisible hand of the marketplace, as it gradually will. Over the centuries, probably not decades, but probably centuries, as it will, we'll move to something else, and the marketplace will di- dictate that, not government. Speaking of marketplace, I'm going to crowbar Zach in here for a minute. I just want to find out, because your uh, Blue Bison creates their software forecast, which uh, mm-hmm. tells everybody on both sides of uh, when you're buying an asset, you know, what those minerals are worth. You know, So when I come to the table with my, you know, what would be my opponent or partner in this, like, I want to buy this, you want to sell it. Let's find out what these uh, minerals are worth. What are you seeing in the marketplace? How how's your uh, software been? Uh, what I have you been? Say, you're scraping all this data. Well, as far as the marketplace, like transactionally, I don't think that people want to pay for upside drilling still. Hardly at all. Upside leasehold cost, not so much. People still want to buy cash flow, which I imagine gets harder and harder as people are buying only cash flow. Interesting. But I think that the upside has to, we're at $117 WTI. I mean, at what point is there drilling upside? At some point there should be, 
And eventually, mm-hmm. those types of transactions should resume, I think. Everybody's wanting to sell their minerals right now. No. Okay. You know, minerals are tough to buy, always. <laughs> Grandpa said never sell, so. That's what I say. Minerals are always tough, but, you know, there are people out there that do it professionally and successfully. Typically, most people sell because of their financial situation, not sure. because they want to. Yeah. Who's most of your customers? They want to do right something now. else with the money. Good landman that need a better tool. Landman. We have a bank in town that uses it to screen deals before they make financial decisions with you know, other variables. Landmen, engineers, petroleum engineers, reservoir engineers. Reservoir engineers. We have some geologists that So what does your tool do exactly? So it starts with the public data set. Oil and gas production data set, and then it has you know, algorithms in the background of the program that feed into the buttons, and you click and output the results of economics effectively with some you know, manual input required. So if you have an area where you want to buy some minerals and you have a general idea of the area, input your you know, engineering parameters that you think are appropriate and quickly dump out how much it determines it's worth. One of the questions that, that I'm wrestling with right now, it's probably a rudimentary question, probably on the shelf. I just don't know where to go get it. Mm. And that is how to manage. I've got probably, I don't know, 300 different interest, non-op interest and mineral interest. And what I need to do is is interface information, like drilling info on intents and completions, interface mm-hmm. that with the legal descriptions of where I'm where I'm working so that I'll know what's happening in the areas. Right. So you want to... already a tool that'll do that? Well, that's kind of what Forecast does, actually. So it starts with a map view, similar to how mm-hmm. Drilling Info and Veris, shout out Alan, uh, similar to how they uh, begin now. You start with the map, you have filters on the left, filter down to the information that you want. It could be a permit or a completion or whatever type of oil and gas data. Forecast is agnostic to data, right? So Forecast is just a tool that you feed data into, and you can visualize whatever you want. The core feature of it, engineers and creates economics but on the surface you can visualize whatever you want we've overlaid like the basement fault map for oklahoma from the usgs oh that's cool the land grid for texas because people want to see it when they're looking at their map kind of like mm-hmm. formerly drilling info yeah. they're our competitor according to them so i'm glad that you asked <laughs> how expensive is what you've got um, it's not a cheap software subscription based though yeah oh. it's a one-year Subscription it like, could be multi-year. If you prefer a multi-year contract, we'll send you one. But yeah, it's like drilling info and similar to drilling info. Yeah, they called me and told me I'm their competitor. So that feels good to you. Overlapping product features. Congratulations, thank man. you very much. Yeah, yeah that's, hey, good. Gets, that's good. Drilling news. info, you have a competitor out here. Yeah, they've got a few, but yeah, it does some things similarly, some things different. We can say it right here. We like first in here. He is the leading competitor to drilling info. I think that, that he could have been the reason why they changed their name. Yeah, yeah. I did not state that, but we have these great. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we get our friends in, you know, hot water. Um, it's okay. You know. That's okay. I didn't say it. <laughs> Technically, so, allegedly, he's catching up to them. Yes, exactly. As Alleg- as allegedly, yeah. allegedly, forecast is going to surpass drilling info as the go-to he, software. Yeah, that's a new process. rumor that just started. Yeah, yeah. We just and, and I, this. I think as a percentage, he's gaining on pretty quickly. Yeah, well, they never have been the strongest service in Oklahoma. Leaps in. Oh, they're a good product. I, they were strong in Texas. I know. I think that they started in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Alan Gilmer started it, and uh, what did he start with? Not it was either permits or completions. I think on a map, and then so, that blew into. What so, it is today. Zach, why would you even step into that? I mean, you're sitting there. I mean, you, there's the you know 800 pound gorilla. You're coming into his space. Yeah. 
I didn't really mean to. It kind of fell into it. Yeah. Yeah. We started as an engineering service company, and that was in the beginning of 2020. And so we started that great, company on great time to start. Really good time. <laughs> January 27th of 2020. Oh, wow. About one week before a crash, and then another couple months before. I made an acquisition about two weeks before that. that <laughs> engineering looked good that day. Wasn't the best, smartest decision I ever made right then, but it's looking pretty good now. It looks yeah. better now. Yeah. You had time to groom it yeah. and get it ready. Yeah, that's exactly the, right. It's time, yeah. It had time to get its arms around me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really I, I don't I, I love promoting forecasts. It's a, it's a really great tool. A lot of people uh, haven't seen it yet and when once they do they're gonna enjoy it. We didn't really mean to become Inveris's competitor. It just kind of happened. We were building a tool internally. Sergio is our developer and engineer. He was building an internal tool so that we could help service provide engineering service to other people. Mm-hmm. And then COVID stuff happened, so that we generated zero dollars in service revenue. But fortunately, the software came into existence, and that saved our bacon. So we're still here talking, fortunately. I like oil and gas. I'd like to stay in it. You, know? you will. I mean, yeah. if, if you sell that company, you'll jump right back in with something else. You know, we're a lot like, I like oil and gas. You just can't get out of it. I don't you want know, to. Once you're in it, it's in your blood. And I, I can remember, remember this, this really happened of a, of a farmer on the East Coast that won the $5 million lottery. And the press asked him, what are you going to do with your $5 million? She said, well, $5 million, I can farm 10 more years. <laughs> That's what we're like, you know, $150 a barrel. Well, we might can drill wells for another That's decade. Right. Yeah. One more boom, baby. Yeah. People are asking me, is our producer an optimist? <laughs> I said, really? They're drilling a hole in the ground yeah. expected to make money. <laughs> I said, you tell anybody else that, they'll say, you're crazy. Did I hit, <laughs> hey, we had, the last time you were in here, did I hit $10 gas yet? Did I win my bet? No, you haven't. Not yet. I was close, though, wasn't I? The other day, we came close. Yeah, a little closer. Got up I, over nine. Yeah. Allegedly, I almost won I, that. Bet. I've hit all my marks. I know. You're Well, you do this. Yeah, that's your job. <laughs> you, well, if all the people that need to hit their you know marks when you bet on stuff, you should do it. Well, you know, you would think I would, but there are days when I sit there and shake my head going, yeah. And for those just tuning in and the first time they see you, what does your software do? Well, Ener- we, energy Rogue, everybody. Energy Rogue, and what we do is... is Every day, we're looking at the markets and seeing which way they're going. More importantly, not just where they're going, but why they're going, which is the, which is the big thing that sells. The it's energy not, markets, the prices for all prices the commodities for that we Natural produce. gas, crude oil, um, all the liquids. CNG, all, all the, LNG. Well, this, I call it the C-suite. The you know, C-suite. The, yeah, the C2, C3, C4, C5. Uh, we actually, for a customer right now, we actually track diesel, which has really been interesting. Diesel's a good one. We all use it. And so, and propane. We have, we have all that out there on our site. We have charts. They're interactive. You can take our charts and you say, oh man, I, I like that. I'm trying to show my boss that. Well, you can highlight it, copy it, put it in your own presentation. How do you, how do you isolate the variables? The variables are so many right now that, but. And I didn't realize he was, you know, showing us before, you know, that those commodities are different prices all over the country, too. It's not just like, hey, right. this is the price. When I say everywhere. that, I'm, I'm talking about Iran coming back on. I'm talking about... Uh, so let's, let's, talk, let's talk about today. Let's talk about something really current. Yeah. We heard that Europe is not going to buy Russian oil. Yes, everybody's excited about that. Yeah. But the silent hand of the market. It's going to come. They're going to sell that crude oil. Now, they might sell it at a discount. So let's think about this. Or they'll sell it to Two South America, ago. who will eventually bring it to Oklahoma yeah. anyway. Or, you know, <laughs> or we stop selling from Russia. They sell to China. Our business from China goes away. Well, now we're buying from Venezuela, yeah, which is, you know, mm-hmm. Russia with a southern accent. You know, the market's going to balance itself. Our demand is still a hundred million barrels a day. 
Russia is 10% of that supply. We can't take away 10% demand, no matter what we do. Renewables can't do it. Nothing can take away 10% of our demand. So it's going to just sort of, all the players are going to shuffle around. And, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed on that ban in Russia, they, only, they, couldn't, they wanted 100% of the European Union, but they couldn't get Hungary in mm-hmm. because they were pipelining oil. So in this ban, everything's banned but pipeline oil. Right. And so it's not so, really a ban. So, huh. so Hungary's in now. And what, so say China starts buying all of Russian oil and gas, right? right? Does that mean that also all of our – I mean, we're not going to ban all the goods that we buy from China. So does that mean our goods, because they're getting cheaper oil and gas, our goods overseas go down in price and now we're benefiting from it anyway? They will only go down in price if they need to keep the market. Right. As long as we're willing to pay what we're paying, they just get a bigger margin. There we go. You know? Interesting. And so uh, – but so when you talk about variables, they're – they're all the same variables over and over again, mm-hmm. you know? And so we talk about, well, surplus. Well, we're going to take 10 million barrels off the market. Mm-hmm. There's only about 5 million total barrels surplus in the world. Three of it's Saudi Arabia. And so there's not, this sounds fatalistic, but it's really not much you can do about it. It's, it's it's very similar when we talk about electric cars. Everybody says, electric cars are going to take over. I says, okay, so how many electric cars are on the road? Three million. Man, that's big. How many total cars are on the road in the U.S.? Don't know. 300 million. So they're 1%. So how long does it take 1% to take over the 99? Yeah. And should they? Yeah. Even if they even if they should. Even if they should. We well, then the, the variables of lithium production, right. enough of that. There's variables of how do you dispose of batteries. Exactly. The cost, the the recharging stations that we don't have the infrastructure for. And I understand the Biden administration moving forward to to give the states more money for, for recharge stations, but they hadn't spent the money they were given the first time. Well, and so here's the other thing. We talked about this once before. Weird how always politics always is our problem. If you if you if if five people on your block decides to get a Tesla Oh, we're in trouble. Your local grid goes down. And what will replace that power? Natural gas. Natural right. gas. Natural gas is our but, current so, and future resource. And now we're exporting resource. natural gas. Mm-hmm. We're ex- exporting 12 BCF a day of natural gas. Not enough. You know why? Because we haven't built enough to export 20 BCF. Yeah. And so, but every time we want to, so we have the ability to do that, but our government shuts it down. So my uncle, who uh, recently passed away, he worked for Pembina, and they were working on Jordan Cove project. We could have had a huge LNG plant on the coast there in Oregon with pipelines coming out of Canada and the Rockies. We could have get all the Rocky gas over to the East Coast, and we could be pumping LNG to any country that wants you know a better, um, better fuel source. Right. A cleaner fuel source. Thank goodness, our government won't allow it. And so this That's is treasonous. This is to what me. I like about Alex Epstein. He brings this out. Mm-hmm. Out of eight billion people in the world, one billion people have no access to electricity, zero access. Mm-hmm. Another billion has very limited access to it. In fact, is mm-hmm. it, they burn less electricity than we burn with our refrigerator. And so, for those people to come out of poverty. They're going to have to have to cheap energy source. Oh, I, I'll say it a million times in this room, and hopefully we can figure out how to do it. But we have the Porta Catusa. We could always put LNG. It won't be you know as large of a ship as you know the coastal you know cities could do, but we can still put LNG on a on a barge and ship it down out of. In a, mm-hmm. Once we start moving those, they can go up and down into Oklahoma yeah. daily. I think there's even a major natural gas pipeline close to Catusa. Sure is. Oh, there's several. 
Yeah. Oh, there's several. I mean, right out of Oklahoma. Stitt could make it a huge port of LNG export right out of Oklahoma. How funny is that? Mm-hmm. Landlocked state shipping overseas LNG. I'd be surprised we're not already doing that. I was curious. I drove over it yesterday coming back from I don't day. think we have an LNG plant in Oklahoma. No, we don't have an LNG. We don't have. We need one. Let's, let me rephrase that. We do have LNG plants in Oklahoma. but I mean, like shipping it on ships. No, but what we do is that those are actually helium plants. Yeah, exactly. And so they make LNG, but they use that as a precoolant for the gas to get the helium out. Well, everybody needs helium all over so, the yeah. And so We don't get electronics but, without helium. So what we do is help people understand the whys. We're always searching to see what's going on. Uh, a good example was we saw a price spike oh, probably 12 months ago. People were going, why is the gas price going up? There's no reason why it's going up. And what it was, it was going up on the financial, but not going up in the fundamentals. So that's called a basis. So when we see a basis blowout, typically that means that the the financial guys are running the show and the fundamental guys are not getting that part. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we started doing more investigation. What was coming on was the new natural gas pipeline over in Europe was coming on. People needed to hedge. And so they go to the NYMEX to hedge from Europe. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they run the price up on the NYMEX. Mm-hmm. And so it's always this game. People need to realize on, on the NYMEX, the people who are making all those decisions, very few of them own the, the physical commodity. All they own is the contracts. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> so when you start looking at the variables, that's what we try to do is provide producers and end users and various different p- people across the spectrum the insight in order to help them make business decisions. I think when Matt and I first met, we were talking about this, and he's talking about service companies. Well, why would service companies need to know the price? Mm-hmm. I says, your entire business is based on whether or not that producer is going to drill a well. And he's not going to drill a well if the price is not where he needs it to be. So your entire existence right now is dependent on that price going somewhere. Yeah, we re- yeah I was um, Night Wool Tools rents yeah. out drill pipe. So if you're not going to drill a well, then that drill pipe's sitting there. Exactly. Where are we standing today, Bill, on the on the ducks, the drilled but uncompleted? You know, uh, especially in the Marcellus. And I wish I could pull up my i could I could get it on my phone right now. But we are we are actually have less. I think we're down now to under two thousand. Hmm. We we peaked out somewhere around nine thousand. So, so these are wells that have been drilled, just hadn't been completed. Yeah, drilling and not completed wells. Drilling uncompleted, and in fact, is they just completed three of the wells a quarter mile from my house. Mm-hmm. That was drilled when I was still at Lynn in 2018. We wow. still we still have thousands of ducks. I, I mean, I see it on my Invirus. Right. <laughs> but, but I think that you have a replacement for that too. Yeah, I can see all the Identify ducks. ducks. Yeah, just a data set. Yeah, okay, yeah, just a data set. I'll, I'll get I'll get that from you. So, but uh, the biggest thing is is that so you know we always see rigs going up. We've been talking about rigs going up. They're up and since January one, they're up about 75 rigs. Yep. I, hey, I was told the other day uh, we will soon in Oklahoma. Now, granted, all these are rumors and, and speculation, but I had a friend, good friend, tell me, and he's you know been right a lot of times. But he said by the by the end of this boom, we'll see another hundred. We'll we'll see a hundred and fifty drilling rigs in Oklahoma running. Mm-hmm. I would like to see that. Yeah, but our problem is, is we haven't seen our production go up significantly. I don't our think production's up less than. Less than two percent. It's going to take a while. People don't. Really, yeah. That that's the problem. There's is, no spigot. Well, one of the things there, that there's no way to turn on the I'm, valve. Yeah. And I'm very aware of is that how we've drilled all the sweet spots. We have not. You know, in well, North Dakota we have pretty yeah. much, and in Oklahoma we have pretty much. The Permian is the motherload, and I don't think we've come close to that. Probably there, 
But, you know, the drilling prospects, you know, I, I, at this price level, they've got to be economical, you know, across the board. Well, so now the problem is <laughs> – We talked about people, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and just getting – it. So economics – I have to raise my prices right now. Yeah. E- e- economics, <clears throat> going forward, a producer has to have 18 to 24 months of good prices before he can actually drill that well. He can't do it on six months. Yeah. Well, and, the, and so when you look – pretty extreme backwardation, too, to where those back months are a lot lower. A lot mm-hmm. lower. I mean, it's, it's like a $2 difference in natural gas right now between 2022 and 2023. What do you guys see as the inflation rate for our business? I read an article yesterday where the inflation, the true inflation rate is not 8%, not 8.5%. It's more like 18, 17%. I know that everybody what if it's, what is what it if it's more business? than that? Well, well, I think it is more than that in our business. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. What about, what about close to 30%? What if I've had to raise my prices 30% to keep my uh, profit margins you know, where everybody's happy? With the certainty that you're not going to think that extrapolate that all the way through, if every that, product that is that our I inflation could... rate, then how do we? How do we? We're making drilling decisions based on next year's price, which is going to be seventy something, maybe. Maybe we don't know right now on the I'm, futures. I'm not guessing that anymore. You can protect. You can protect around seventy two dollars. I think for no one has a crystal ball. Right. For yeah, when you got the twenty four, yeah, you're back in yeah. the seventies. Yeah. I don't think so, Bill. But I'm hey, saying, I just, had, just like being. Yeah. If you had to make an investment, for instance, I'm an acquisition kind of guy. Yeah. I don't drill a lot of wells anymore. I just participate in some. But in an acquisition, you scratch your head about what do you pay for an acquisition now? Right. Because, and you, what you got to do is you got to say, well, okay, I can hedge the price on an average of twenty three and uh, uh, twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four around seventy two dollars a barrel. I can't pay a hundred. I can't pay a hundred and fifteen. You know, I've got to hedge the price so that I know I can pay the pay the. the you need a software that gives you the ability to like put in your own pricing parameters and then dump out your economics for you. Wow, we built that feature in a couple of weeks ago for oh, you. Oh, did you? Excellent. We need that's a great. <laughs> I love that. That was my best plug so far, wasn't it? Plug. Yeah, that was I was great. impressed. That was really good. Zach was like, you can use his. It was true. You can use his data for forecasting, right? Any data, there of course. Yeah. Man, you two need to collaborate more on your software. Yeah, we have talked about. So crude for 2023 is at 92, for 2024 it's at 82, and well, 2025 at 75. That's, that's what better. people are buying it's it for better. right now. Right. That's still, I mean, hey, that was uh, that was as of yesterday. Wow. So you know, you keep thinking, when do you pull the trigger, Bill? And that's the question. You know, if we're going to run up to 150, you hate to pull the trigger right now, but boy, that's a pretty good deal. If you can lock in those prices going forward, we can all make money at that. You know, the problem with locking in a price, you can't lock in your expense. That's exactly right. You know, if I could figure out a way to hedge expenses, you know, we'd both be rich. Yeah. We'd be talking about this on my private island in the Caribbean. <laughs> uh, but the and – so, and so, but the one thing I found out producers know more is they know their expenses better than they know their market. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I figured out how my dad covered his expenses. Mm-hmm. He's just, we did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap labor child, covers yeah, a Child labor laws exactly. doesn't really matter much. That's great. Yeah, I was but, taking uh, rods. I know how we're covering our expenses. The president and the vice president of Night Fire go out and do the deliveries ourselves. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's. We haven't that's paid exactly. anybody to go do that yet. And, and so with those prices, you, you have to determine what level that you think your expenses are at. Nothing ever gets better on a lease. Everything's new when you drill the well. Yeah. It deteriorates from that day forward. And so you have to plan for 
repairing it and replacing it and, and doing all that. And, and the key is, is that most producers don't want to pay for hedges. So they will invest in a costless collar, mm-hmm. which caps their upside. You can actually buy a floor with a premium. And if you would calculate that cost into your drilling cost and your economics, then that leaves your upside up. You've covered all your costs. And now you can just later pull the trigger on where you want to sell. Mm-hmm. If you truly think it's um, that it's going to go up there. I've got a friend of mine that tells me $190 <laughs> this August mm, really? as an average. I think Richard Spears yeah. predicted 150 by, uh, it was an SPE talk. Yeah. Were you there? Mm-hmm. He was predicting 150 at middle of this year. Yep. So when people predict prices, you have to ask the question. I always ask them, is that a print? Does that mean that one day during the market that it actually hit that price? And I think that's what he was referring to. Okay. That's, not, that's, that's an easier prediction to make. Mm-hmm. Number two is a daily close. Did it actually close at that? Now, the reason that's important is because a lot of technical trends and a lot of technical um, direction is based on the daily close, not on what it hits. Hmm. And so uh, I think right now we're talking that if we get above a 9-11 close on natural gas, it opens the door to $14. Same thing on crude oil. If we get above 116, I can't remember. Brian told me this morning we were talking about it. Above 116, it opens 125 in oil crude oil, and it has nothing to do with demand. Has nothing to do. No, I think it has everything to do with technical charts and how the traders have been trained to trade that. And so that's the most frustrating thing when you live in the physical world, is knowing there's 25 year olds in New York City messing with your oil price. Yikes. And real, a really good book, though. That, so how can we take that power back as, a, as an industry, then? Is there any possible way? You become way? more knowledgeable about the market. Okay. I mean, you, you need to, you know. What's the really good book? The really good book is The Illogical Trader, or excuse me, The Logical Trader by Mark Fisher. It's not the Mark Fisher with uh-huh. local. And interesting enough, and I'm going to give you my rumor because I can't substantiate it because it would be not good. Uh he was under investigation on SEC for insider trading because he trained all the guys on the market. And when you train enough people, mm-hmm. everything you train them to do becomes true. I mean, if you train 10%, eh, if you train 70%, whatever they believe that you told them is what's going to happen. Whether it's true or not it becomes immaterial at the moment. Right. You know, Boone Pickens' last book was called The First Billion's the Hardest. Yes. Exactly. And it was my he, he wrote two books that I know of. The first one and the last one were the, right. were really good. But the last one, you know, he's he made his first billion dollars after the age of seventy. Yeah. And he did it trading. Mm-hmm. He passed the he, he took the SEC exam three times before he passed it. Good for him. I mean it's a great book on perseverance and stamina and and uh, you know very honest book. But you know that's what I think he did. I think he took that reputation of being a trader, of right. being being right on crude prices, and turn that parlay that into Boone Capital. Mm. Well, the, the the few things, and when I was at Chaparral, I handled all their hedging, mm-hmm. and so I was deep into this stuff beyond beyond where I needed to be anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was amazing to me how we you always call it the school of fish. They all turn at the same time. That's because they all been trained the same way. Mm-hmm. That when they see this in a market. 
you that's a buy you see this in the market it's a sell mm. has nothing to do with supply or demand you have to divorce yourself from that the physical means anything to the financial mm-hmm. and so the problem is is that when you borrow money the banks make you hedge off their book mm-hmm. not your book so i understand it they're loaning you a bunch of money so they want to be in control you'll never be ahead of the market when you're hedging because of what you owe mm-hmm. and that's so, that's just true in life don't owe people money and you right. can decide for yourself so what your the logical is. trade of a mark fisher he wrote the book so that when sc comes and says you're doing insider trading he says no don't i just published a book showing <laughs> everything i did mm-hmm. and so it's hard to be insider trading when you got a public <laughs> book out there yeah. and so but it is very interesting to read it's very interesting to follow because those guys up in new york state they don't know our business they know the trading business. They don't know you can't turn on a spigot. Right. They don't know you can't exactly. turn on a spigot. And so that's part of the things that we do is we show the technical trends and we show the fundamental trends. And sometimes we show where they break apart. Currently right now, gas is running up on what I call a technical trading because the basis is beginning to blow out. Mid-continent usually is around 25 cents. Today it's 60 cents. So that means that it's not the fundamentals running it up. And so... I mean, these are things that me and my business partner learned over 35 years of doing marketing in the oil and gas. And, and I mean, I was there for deregulation. I, I go way back. And uh, it is harder and easier all at the same time right now. And the reason is because it's easier because you have more data. It's harder because you have more data. <laughs> you know, and so you have to be able to interpret that data. We are not financial advisors in our company. What we did is we created everything we created is what we used when we were doing marketing. Mm-hmm. And as we got to the point in our career, we said, you know what? There's people that need this. And so we're called Energy Rogue, not because of what we do, but because of what we charge for it. I mean, we send you an email for a dollar a day. You know, our most expensive product is $90 a month. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we're not going to be millionaires. But we're back to that point where we want to help people understand the market. And it's about helping people. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about to me. Mm-hmm. Because I've had so many people help me throughout my career that I, they've taught me to help other people throughout my career. The biggest thing I get is when I see people who used to work for me running companies. And that is exciting to see because, like you said, small part in their life, but you helped them along the way when they needed that little help. And so, so is it going to 190 like my friend says? Eh, probably not. I think he's, you know, over-optimistic. Mm. Um, and I warn people, every time we've had a really high spike in the oil, guess what comes three months later? Yeah. You know, a right. crash. Crash. You know? And that's what I live in fear of is, and I think it's kind of interesting and in, get your perspective on this, guys, but it seems to me that, that uh, I've never seen the price so high with people so worried mm-hmm. in our business because we just don't think it's sustainable. And, you know, we haven't, we, we've come to realize it hasn't been sustainable before we've had right. all these booms. So we know what's coming next right. and we're trying to entice the next generation to please come to work. And I've been through in my career of 50 years, I've been through at least five major downturns. Booms and bust. Yeah. And I will tell you, by far, this is the longest one. Eight years, it, to me, is the longest one we've had. And it's been the toughest to, so, know, to know what to do about. So let me, let, me, let me ask you this question. This has always drove me crazy, is that mm-hmm. 
our business is basically a seven or eight year cycle business. Boom and bust. Usually about seven, eight year cycle. Every financial guy analyzes it on a five year financial plan. How can you be right? Yeah. Well, yeah, as we get I, older, Bill, you, you have to think, you know, uh, at 71, am I going to be able to recover next time? Yeah. So it colors your changing, changes your thinking on how far do you go out in making investments. You know, as as the industry itself ages, which I think is probably a pretty well-established fact that the players in the industry are aging. The great crew change. Yeah. Then then uh, that has an – that has a, for instance, I remember uh, – you probably read the story about the – the change in the mentality of the large independent producer executives where they were being compensated on growth. Now they're being compensated on net income on yep. profitability. ROI. That's and, what uh, investors you know, it's demand. Like, it's like, um, you know, Rick Muncrief at Devon just was quoted as saying, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to make that same mistake again. What a great leader. You know, we've learned. Yeah. There's two leaders that are stepping up. You know, Harold Ham's yeah. not going to be around forever, so you know we're always looking oh, for. Oh, Grief is the best man. Him, uh, Clay Gaspar, what a great speaker. He's yeah. you know an incredible leader. You know, I hope that he continues to fill in and uh, you know expand his you know reach on who he you know he talks to. So the, my, other, the other one I listen to uh, with a, a, a great ear is uh, is Scott Sheffield with Pioneer Resources. And, yep. Oh, yeah. And you know Scott said it's not going to change our drilling behavior if oil's two hundred dollars a barrel. We're going to drill the same at 200, 100, or 150. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to us. We're going to. I saw an article the other day. It really, it really just grabbed me and made me just almost angry. It was, it was like oil and gas producers are slow, you know, to the demand needed right now. You know, they're, they're not, they're not stepping up and producing enough oil and gas for us and enough gasoline. Why would they? I'm like, right. What so, is this? I mean, they finally learned. They're finally, they're finally running their business like businesses. So yeah. I'm going to. Be controversial here. There, that was a controversial yes. article to you know so, stick it to us. We can't be energy independent. No. Why not? We don't have enough refining capacity. Yeah. Well, guess what? Our government, well, yet again, is not stepping up. The only yeah. treasonous people that are against oil and gas is the government saying, hey, if we give our people enough energy, what can they be capable of? Yeah. Freedom and liberty. That's the one area that I've, as you all know me, know I've given a great deal of thought to is the political part of this. Right. And, you know, does anybody in this room believe that oil would be a, over $100 a barrel if Donald Trump was still in office? No. No. Because we would have refineries. So why are we mad at, why are we all mad at Joe Biden? So, we would have refineries and pipelines. We would actually be energy yeah, independent. Let me tell you why, we, why we're mad at Joe Biden. And it finally occurred to me, you know, everybody's brag. What, what really got my attention was when I saw Ham on uh, CNBC. And uh, it had a backdrop at the time of $91 a barrel and $6 in MCF gas with Ham saying the administration is driving us out of business. And I'm thinking, oh, Harold, how can you say that when prices are so good? It's the administration that's making the prices so good. Yes, but, yes, but words matter. When you tell the FDIC, when you tell the SEC that we don't want you advantaging fossil fuels, we want you not lending money mm. for fossil fuel projects, and you you got the bully pulpit of the President of the United States, it makes a big difference in our behavior, in our market behavior, in the way we react. We react to that. So, Mike, at, you know, I've been in this business for a long time as well, and I said, so I've always told people, I says, depending on who's in power, it says Democrats are good for the price. Mm-hmm. Republicans are good for the business. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look at it. You know, Republicans have never brought us a high price of gas. Or, or, no, we've done better under Democratic administration. That's our price. But the reason is, is because, once again, we go to that silent end of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Scarcity increases price. Right. Well, which is, 
I mean, it's kind of hard to say that anything overwhelms price, right. you know, in importance to us. But but I'm not voting you know, for the, the other thing the we're like. <laughs> the other thing we're like is that we are more patriot than we are oil and gas. I right. I'm, we are, I'm the, our industry. I would rather not be as most, rich. If there's a more extreme group of patriots than the American oil and gas producers. I don't know who they are because we're not voting with our pocket. We're not. So I was going to say, when's the last time you saw a drilling rig without a flag at the top? Yep. Yeah. How about never? We're voting to be patriots. We understand that we, if we have a Republican in office, we will not have the same prices, but that's okay. Yeah, and I think I think for us, you know, we care. We're good and at I, mankind. I think people. we're right to care about that. You know, I don't think that's a flaw in it's our not, business. It's not models. a flaw, and I t- and I tell you what, I, oil and gas business has been so good to me and my family. I mean, I was the first person in my family to be in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. I started off climbing derricks offshore. I mean, I had a hard ad that says, "Please do not use this worm for bait." <laughs> I mean, that's where I started, and I and I saw and I have made so many friends, met so many people who are lifelong people I would call on at any time, people I would trust with my checkbook because of this business. Because you 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 create those relationships through trials, not through good times. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I've been through five booms and busts. Uh, when I was at Lynn and we were going through the issues, they said. Is it going to be all right? I says, yeah. He says, how do you know that? Because it was the last five times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, is it going to be fun? No. Mm-hmm. Said, ah, it's been fun. I can't. Yeah. The great part is I can't think of all the bad times. <laughs> yeah. But the, the real deal is, is that this country runs on fossil fuels. Every country runs on fossil fuels. And the reason this country has gotten to the point to where it's at is because the Spirit of America has always been to overcome adversity, mm-hmm. you know, and and go lend a hand to others who need help. Right. I mean, I can, you know, I remember when you know it was really bad in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and how many other countries sent us money? Well, wait, about none. Yeah, but we, and you know what? I like that reputation. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me something to be proud of. But it does remind me of the old Chinese proverb, why do you hate me so when I've done nothing for you? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Hey, guys, I'm going to get everybody out of here. They've uh, they've been watching us and listening for a while, and I hope they have a lot of questions and reach out to you. And uh, make sure you uh, go around the room again. Uh, Mike Cantrell. Yeah, Mike Cantrell. How do, they, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, my cell phone is is uh, well publicized. It's 405 206 4444 or Mike at Mike Cantrell.net. Mike You got to go visit his site and buy a copy of his book. It's a good leadership book. Thank you. Absolutely. What about you, Zach? I need a copy of his book. It sounds like. Yeah, you should. I'll walk yeah. out to the truck with me and I'll give you one. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You can reach me at Zach Z-A-C at bluebison.energy. You can call my cell phone if you want. If you're watching this, 918-706-3472. If you want the good stuff, you probably should look for me on Twitter at Z-A-C-U-R-A-T-E at Zaccurate. Oh, you're, you're promoting Twitter, I guess. Elon I love EFT Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can reach me at Bill at NGRogue.com and uh, come look at us, come we have stuff out there you can just subscribe for free, just like those five-year estimates. We put those out there all the time. You can have those come to your uh, email every day. We um, And you can always reach me at Erico 405-821-0660. Guys, thank you. I very much appreciate you all being in here Thanks. and uh, promoting yourself and uh, our industry. It's yeah. always a pleasure. Matt. 
Matt, oh man, I'm easy to find. Obviously, you guys are all going to see this and have all the links. Uh, follow Oilfield Tailgate. Go to oilfieldtailgate.com and uh, please sign up to be a sponsor. And uh, make sure you come to the party when uh, the season gets uh, kicked off. We have a good time. Can't, can't miss those Oilfield tailgates. Love Cannot them. miss the Oilfield Can we? Parties. Can we do the tailgate and not go in the stadium? Yes. Oh yeah. Everybody. I, I would say more people probably do that than they should. <laughs> Once they get there and have a great time, you know, they're like, "Ah, do I really need to go to the game?" There's a lot of times toward the end of the tailgate, you know, party where like, Matt, here's all my tickets to see if anybody in the crowd. One, wants one of the casualties of this bust was my OU season tickets. Oh, and, uh, you know, I had these donor tickets that I've had for 35 years. And, mm. and uh, I, you know, I decided, you know, I just can't pay that money anymore. Yeah. Well, I tried to get them back. That's going to be hard. They've quadrupled yeah. in their donor. Yeah. I said, you have separated the men from the boys, and I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> They're they're going to a new format where I'm just going to wait till they've been in the SEC two years and we'll see what they cost. Oh yeah, there you go. (laughs) We're going to go win the SEC now. I mean, we dominate here. We're going to dominate SEC. There's, I mean, we're we're basically going to be pro team at this point. Yeah, but don't forget that (laughs) silent hand of the marketplace. (laughs) That silent hand of the marketplace is starting to work because A and M paying the players the most got number one recruiting class. Texas number two recruiting class. Georgia and Alabama both three and four. We better pony up, guys. So we could have our own sports podcast. Is that finally we might actually have a professional football team in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's never going to happen. I'm, I'm afraid the people from the north and south will never allow that to happen. But who knows? Well, guys, we'll uh, see you next time. Appreciate y'all. Take Thanks, care. Everybody. God bless. Bye-bye. Watch this. <laughs>